I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Thinking Sideways is not brought to you by Mailing Potatoes. Instead, it's supported by the generous contributions of people like you, our listeners, on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash thinking sideways to learn more. Thinking Sideways. I don't understand. Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Thinking Sideways. I am Steve, as always, joined by Joe and Devin. And once again, we've got another mystery. What? Oh, she had we another do. one. There's a couple more left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, this mystery was suggested to us by Brian on Facebook. Oh, God, it was like a year yeah. ago. And weirdly enough, as I was doing all of my research, suddenly there was a resurgence. And I, we must have got another three, four, five suggestions. I in think the last I said week. I That's... said to someone recently, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where somebody suggested something that we're literally about to record. I'm not saying this is one of those situations, but I'm not not saying this is one of those situations <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes we just have to say, okay, yes, we're doing it. I'm sure you made their day anyway. Oh, maybe. Probably not. Maybe. Well, probably. Maybe they don't care. Maybe not. Maybe they yeah. don't. Yeah. It's a mystery. Yeah. What are we covering next week? That right that there. One. That's yeah. what we're covering. I'm on it, man. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. We need a short episode. We do. <laughs> okay. They're all well, short. Today, what we're going to be talking about is we are going to be talking about the death of writer Danny Casalero and his investigation into what he called the octopus. 
He's not the only one who calls it that. No, the, the, the term of the octopus has been around for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. he, uh, he really liked the octopus, and I'm going to warn everybody uh, to strap in. This is kind of a 80s history roller coaster. Mm-hmm. We're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff, so get your pen, get your paper, take notes, because there'll be a quiz at the end. You're going to be glad you did it. No, where's, you're not. Where's your pen, Devin? Come on. I don't know. I'm not taking notes. I have notes in front Look of me already. Look at Joe. He's already. Yeah, yeah, he always does that, though. Got my notes. Got my flashlight. <laughs> Got my saber. (laughs) So let's talk about uh, Danny for a minute, for a little bit here. He was a freelance writer at the time of his death, which was in 1991. He wrote for, uh, during the 80s, he wrote for a a number of tabloids and and some other different magazines. And then he got on at Computer Age Publications, which reported on personal computing which this is the 80s, computers are awesome and cool, and there's yeah. a, you know, I mean, even today, tech writing is a big thing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. huge. Yeah, he, and he worked there for a long time until he eventually, he became part owner in the, the publication until he sold off his portion of the company in 1990, decided, I guess, I, I never, I don't know why he did that, but he just, he'd had enough, wanted to move on, which we all do with jobs. Yeah. Could be. I guess it's interesting that he wouldn't retain his ownership of it, though, despite not writing for it. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's almost... Seems like it'd be easy income. He might have wanted some cash. Yeah. Well, here's the thing is... Actually, I think I remember reading that the value of the company was going up, and it looks like he saw it as a bit of a cash cow. Hey, I'm going to I'm gonna take the money and run before this mm. bubble bursts. Mm-hmm. And he sold probably six months to a year too soon. Mm. Yeah. If he'd waited longer, he would have made a whole bunch more Well, if money. he waited longer, he would have been dead. So. That's Maybe. a good point. Yeah. Maybe not. Well, that's true. We don't know. We don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, so he does that, and then uh, Casalero goes ahead and is looking around for something else to do. He's talking to, reportedly, he talks to another friend who is also a journalist in the same field and says, Hey, I, I want to get back into writing. I want to find a good story. And this friend suggests uh, that he look into the Inslaw case, which at the time had been going on for a decade. It's totally forgotten to history, I feel. The Inslaw case? Yeah. Really? I don't hear people talking about it in the way that people talk about a lot of other stuff, which is kind of scary because it was kind of a big thing. Several decades. It went on for a long time. And frankly, I got to tell you, it's hard to understand. It's really hard to get a a handle on the Mm -hmm. Inslaw case. It it is a muddy, muddy mess. And we're going to go into, at least to a certain degree, the the case. Yeah. But I I do want to stick just kind of with Danny here. So he looks at it and he says, hey, this, this is right up my alley because the Inslaw case is all about technology. So he goes ahead, he starts doing his investigation, and he started it uh, not too long after he had sold his portion of the publication. So Mm -hmm. it's in 1990, he starts doing this work. Mm -hmm. It didn't take too long in his investigation, though, for him to start seeing, and I'm using air quotes when I'm saying seeing, or his sources to start telling him about a lot of crazy connections to the Inslaw case. They were really, it seemed coincidental. Does that make sense? I mean, you two know this, but it it seems coincidental, and then it just kind of grows in spider webs. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's one of those situations, right, where if if there was one coincidence, you'd say, oh, that's just a coincidence. But when there's 10 coincidences, you Mm -hmm. start to think, 
Okay, that's a lot of coincidences to just be coincidence. Yeah, well, it's just... Uh, right? I mean, that was my sense, was that it was just kind of... Yeah. If, it, if it had just yeah, been one or two things, it would have been nothing, but <laughs> it yeah. was not one or two things. Yeah, similar name. The same name pops up in this and other areas, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's kind well, of what the connection yeah, is. Yeah, and, and what the the coincidences or the connections or whatever you want to call it, it is what he began to refer to as the octopus, which is all of these crazy connections that seem to indicate that there's some secret network that's responsible for terrible acts, espionage, murders, assassinations, laundering, drugs. I mean, it kind of runs the full gamut here. I almost, I almost want to think of it less of a network and more of kind of a cabal. Mm. One of the ways I've always mm. kind of seen sure. the, the octopus. Yeah, we can call it that. That's fine by me. Yeah. That's fine. It's the Knights Templar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Illuminati, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, the Illuminati would fall into the, the umbrella of the, of the octopus cabal. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the weird part. Is that This is technically going to be a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. And there are tons of things that whenever you read about one conspiracy theory, you're going to find a whole bunch of things linked to it. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how they all tend to have commonalities. They all run through common stories. Which so, is, I, yeah, I, we probably don't need to go too far no, into this, no, but it's always don't. interesting to me. I, I'm going to do a little bit of it anyway. <laughs> it's always interesting to me, you know, when you, it's it's uh, similar to when you look at ancient history and you see all of the depictions of things that look a lot like flying something mm -hmm. in like prehistoric times, right? And it's kind of like, okay, well, if one, one group of people had come up with that on their own, okay, but when you start seeing it in a lot you kind of think well something must have been you know maybe it was meteors or whatever but same with this to me where it's kind of like well there's all these theories of this thing in different iterations so like mm -hmm. ancient aliens yeah yeah i mean that's where i know that's where your your history well with that yeah, yeah but with this you know there's so many shadowy organizations that it, it almost you kind of think can this many people be crazy yes this many people could <laughs> yeah. be crazy it's... but again I don't know. And I, we're going to keep talking about that, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I think that, um, that our brains are kind of hardwired to find patterns in things. Absolutely. That's the way our, the human mind works. And so mm -hmm. we're naturally, we're constantly constructing things like this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I, I have a question for you guys, and that is this. Okay, we've got the octopus. And then we have this other shadowy conspiracy called the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. What happens when they, when they collide? Squid. Squid? Is that what it is? I'm yep. just kind of curious about it. Do they have a shadow war, or do they just like sort of get to, get together in a little room? No, and, it's Hydra. And, yeah, Hydra. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. They and make some other sea creature. They yeah. can do that. No, it's Hydra. Breed. They interbreed. Or or do they drop treaties between them between each other? Or what do they do? I don't know. No, I mean that that's kind of what I was alluding to is that like there can't be all of the ones yeah. that are theorized, but it's it's certainly possible that there's one of them. Hmm. Possible. But yeah, it's Hydra. <laughs> pretty sure okay all right inspector <laughs> let's uh let's let's get back to the story here we, we've done oh. enough about right. cabals and crazy conspiracy okay. theories for the moment anyway yeah i was gonna say we're go we're going there though we we are gonna kind of go there today so we're gonna move forward so danny began his work in 1990 we're going to jump forward in time we're gonna jump forward to the 8th of august 1991 
Casalero goes to Martinsburg, West Virginia. He's going to go there to meet several sources. He meets one of them for sure, but it appears that he was going to go to meet more than one. But while he's at his hotel, he bumps into this guy who he's never met before by the name of Mike Looney. They meet in the hallway, they start to chat, and then later on, they meet in the hotel bar that night. And I bring up Looney because he's talked about a number of times to validate Danny's state of mind. Because when they were in the bar, he was very chatty, and he told him all about his research and all this stuff that he was going to do. And it sounds like I got the impression that they talked over drinks for several hours, so... He didn't display any kind of abnormal behavior. He just seemed like a guy who was really excited about what he was doing. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Some people bring up, they bring up Looney because in this kind of shadowy way, right? That he just happened to, they just happened to meet, even though it was a coincidence that both of their rooms were right next to each other. <laughs> yeah. But I guess I hadn't, you know, it makes more sense. Of course, yeah, they ran each other in the hall. So like, of course they did. Yeah. yeah. And then they went and got a drink or happened to see each other and connected. Fine, yeah. Yeah. But I, there are those people out there who are like, oh, oh Looney, he yeah. just happens to meet. It's crazy. Yeah, I think I if Looney know. had murdered him, I think that he wouldn't be saying that he was cheerful. Yeah, excited. <laughs> yeah probably, <laughs> probably not. not. Well, let's move forward to the next day. So now we're on the 9th of August, and Casalero uh, meets a source at 2 o'clock that afternoon. And then from there, he goes to a place called the Stone Crab Inn and has dinner and a couple of beers. And we know this because he left at 5.12 p.m., which is the time he paid with his credit card. Okay. So we've got the credit card record there. He then went to a payphone and called his family sometime around 6 o'clock to say that... Yeah, went to a payphone. It's, 90, it's, it's 91. 91. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still payphones. He went to a payphone and he called his family because they seem to have had a, a standing thing where they would do dinner together and he was notorious for bagging out. So where? he was calling to say he wasn't going to make it. Where did he live? Oh, it's it's uh, it's Virginia, McLean, Virginia. Oh, okay. So, so not, not too, that far. Not too awful far. Okay, oh. yeah. So it's reasonable that he could have been trying to get home. Yes. Okay. So, like I said, it was about 6 o'clock that night that he made the call. Okay. He then disappears from the radar for about four hours. He shows up about 10 o'clock that evening. So, it's 10 o'clock at night. He's seen at a convenience store, which is it's either next door. It's right next door to his hotel. I think he was staying at a Sheridan, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Yeah. He goes in. He wants coffee. He has to wait for the coffee to be made. Gets a cup of coffee. And then he walks back to his hotel. Interesting. I'm sorry. Oh, no. It's just interesting to me. Most hotels in the lobby have free coffee, especially Sheridan's 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that he felt like he had to go to the convenience store to pay for coffee instead of just walk the extra he couple yards. He might not like the coffee they had. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't good, but or they is might convenience not have... store coffee going to be that much better? Well, no, Sheridan... Most uh, hotels have coffee out till a certain point in the day, but I don't, I mean, do they always have coffee no, available? Not always. I guess yeah. that's fair. I okay. I just always assume they have coffee in the lobby because, you know, if you get in late and True. You know, whatever, yeah. you leave but early. You're leaving early, yeah. I don't know what he was doing drinking coffee at 10 p.m., though. I don't know because it's a little weird. He's going to stay weird? up and write. I, I mean, it makes sense to me that if he had, if he, especially if he had met with a source in that four hours, which is totally possible that he did. Or well, he met a source at two o'clock. Right, but that it's possible that he had another source that he managed to meet with 
in those four hours that he went missing. Maybe, uh, because he did have a source that, that bagged out on him on mm-hmm. the day before. Yeah. On the 8th, he was supposed to meet a source who just flaked on him. Right, and I wouldn't necessarily come forward if I was a source that was giving information about something like this and had seen him in those four hours and then he showed up dead re- the reasonably next day. close after that. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh yeah, I was with him. I was with him for those four hours. Probably not. But I, it makes sense to me that he would be going back to write. That he would be inspired, or even if it was just based on the source earlier, that he would be trying to stay up and collect his thoughts and all of that stuff. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's peculiar because, you know, when he was at the Stone Crab Inn, he ate dinner, and Mm -hmm. he had a couple of beers. I think it was Bud Lights or something like that he was drinking. Uh So he's drinking a couple of beers, and then four hours later, he's having some coffee. So, I mean, I can see why he's waking himself up. I do that. Do you not do that? No. I, yeah. How Once old I start he? drinking beer, I don't start drinking <laughs> That's coffee. That's me. When I'm in How beer mode. He? <laughs> uh, he was in his 30s at this oh, okay. point. So it wasn't like he was a young guy. Sure. I don't know. It just, it, that makes sense to me. Okay. Well, or we're he gonna, was trying to sober up. Or... We're going to move past that. Oh. And we're going to move to the next day, which is August 10th. It's 1230 in the afternoon. And the maid enters his hotel room. And she finds uh, Danny dead in the tub. Do you? Sorry. To keep interrupting. Uh, when was he meant to check out? Do you know? I don't. I never have seen that anywhere, to okay. be honest. I have. I I've had done neither. a stupid amount of reading you on have, this. I and know. I have not seen anywhere that ever said he was expecting to check out at. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't okay. either. It's uh, maybe that he wasn't expecting to check out for another day or two. I don't know. Yeah, I right. don't know. But the thing is, the, the maid comes in. She finds him in the tub. His wrists have been slit. Uh, there's... The place is covered in blood. The bathroom, it's all over the walls, the tub, in the water, all over the floor. There's towels soaked in blood underneath the sink. Like, it's not a pretty scene. Under the sink on the floor? Yes. So it was just like a towel. It wasn't Pedestal like a cabinet kind of situation okay. is, okay. What, I, not is a what I got the impression. Not so there could have been towels okay. on the floor that the blood soaked into. Potentially, the... yes. Okay. Yes, that is absolutely a possibility. Okay. I just need to clarify that because I think that's going to come into play later. <laughs> well, and no, and that's a great thing because I've never really gotten any good photos of the crime scene. Mm-hmm. And the descriptions, they leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. I'm quite honest. Go, go the figure. Des- the descriptions that you get of this crime scene aren't that great. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is because it is not considered a crime scene. Yeah. It's considered the scene of a suicide. I think there are two reasons, right? It's that reason. And then also there's always that reason of hoping to spare people the trauma of his family. Most importantly. Yeah. Really detailed descriptions of how horrific a suicide it was or Mm -hmm. whatever. But there are definitely some things that are are pointed out that give me some question marks yeah. for sure. Yeah, no. Yeah, the coaster, for one thing. Well, let's. that's a good thing to bring up, Joe. And let's mm. bring up all of the stuff that's in the room. So there's a little bit of a laundry list that we're going to go through here. In the bathroom itself, so not in the tub with mm-hmm. Danny, but in the bathroom, the police find a bottle of red wine that's half full. They find an ashtray sitting on the toilet. And... Did he smoke? Was he a smoker? You know, again, I you don't know. I don't know. Okay. I've never seen reference to the fact of if he was or was not a smoker. Okay. This is the nineties. I mean, a lot of people still smoke, so I've got to guess that if he's got an ashtray in the bathroom with him, he's a smoker. Right. That's what, you that's would what think. smokers do when they get in the bath and they open the window mm-hmm. and you have a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. if you're drunk. And or if you're drunk, but yeah. We don't know if there's any. there were any butts in the ashtray. No, no. Again, yeah. never reference. It's the ashtray, but not the contents of said ashtray. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also in the bathroom itself uh, is broken glass. From what? I don't know. 
I okay, I got the bit about the broken glass. There's a guy named Ken Thomas. He wrote the book The Octopus. He went out, he picked up all of Casalero's notes, he went through it all, and he reconstructed all of his research, and then he built on the theories from there and, mm. and put out a whole new book. And he didn't do it himself. There was another guy, but the edition that I read was mainly under his name. But he's the only place that I've seen that references this other piece of broken glass. And I don't know what it is. Because hmm. I, I was rereading this today going, wait, where the hell was a broken glass? What was it? I can't. All it is is broken glass. Probably. Well, you know, hotels in the bathroom, they usually have a couple of glasses. In and there. that's, that's, that's probably what I have what it to was. guess it is, yeah. is that he knocked over the stupid cheapo hotel glass. Well, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard to tell with that level, with a Sheridan level hotel. Nowadays, it's all plastic, right? It's just the plastic cups. Yep. They're Even the coffee cups. Like solo cups or whatever. I don't know if in the 90s they had actual glasses, glasses, glass. I remember. Glasses. I, I, I seem to recall that. At, at I remember level. glass in most hotels up until I'd say the last decade. Okay. Okay. See, and that's good information. I was a and kid, so I don't. Yeah. I hate to sound like I'm like, like a snob or anything like that, but I still stay in hotels occasionally, even these days that have glass in there. No, I do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. I mean, but yeah. I'm just thinking Higher, nicer, there are different yeah. levels of hotels and yeah. nicer ones always have glass and oh, the yeah. kind of crappier ones very rarely do. So I, I just didn't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Maybe it was Maybe it was the broken glass from a wine glass or something. I don't know. Again, don't know. Mm. Let's continue on with what was there in the tub. So this is in the tub with the body. They find a uh, two plastic trash bags, which... I don't get, I don't understand. There's a single edge razor blade, which makes sense. A can of old Milwaukee. Well, that really doesn't make sense. Why would <laughs> anybody drink that? <laughs> and a, uh, a, a paper coaster, as Joe had mentioned a little bit ago. They also, this is another weird thing. They find a shoelace tied around his neck, mm -hmm. which is just weird. Tied tightly or loosely? Doesn't say. Mm. Again, Nothing Where says. did you see that? The shoelace? Yeah. I know that I, I think I read it in The Octopus. And I, okay. I swear I've seen it on a number of websites. Okay. Like, you know, somebody's going to yell, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing it on the wiki. But it may not be. Or it may, I don't know. Yeah. But I know I've read it in more than one place. Okay. Um, but it could have just been a necklace. I mean, I've seen guys with necklaces that really kind of look like shoelaces. No, it, no, it, was, it was a shoelace. Okay. Uh, the we, Now, the terrible thing for the investigation here is, of course, that what do, what do the police do when they get there? They drain the tub. By the drain the tub, I mean they pull the plug. Why? They don't save any water. Why? They don't strain it to try and catch anything. Don't know why, uh, other than they just went, he did it himself. Why would we bother? Or maybe That's the only thing I can I can. Or they're under the pay there, of the octopus. Exactly. Maybe this is going <laughs> to yeah. happen. This entire story yeah. I can tell. No. Well, what it about is. the maid? <laughs> this is interesting. I, you know, I can kind of explain away some of this stuff. I guess. I mean, it doesn't. It's not consistent with what we've heard about his mood and state of mind around that time. Suicide is not absolutely right, but but in addition to that, you know, I can kind of say, okay, they found two plastic trash bags. Okay, maybe he tried to suffocate himself before asphyxiation. Yeah, maybe which he is was, why the shoelace tried was to, there, yeah. and it didn't work, so he just you know dropped it in the tub with him. I don't know about the coaster. Maybe the coaster 
was on the i'm sorry i'm just going there sitting on the edge of the tub yeah maybe it was you know with the beer and that he like flailed after he cut himself and actually knocked it in that could have been the source of the broken glass he's got a a glass of something sitting on the edge of the tub on the coaster and the beer Uh, can apparently i guess or maybe but maybe he didn't want to drink out of can i know people who don't drink out of cans they don't want to drink out of cans so maybe he had it in a glass and was pouring the can into it. I don't know. Well, I don't know either. It's I confusing. just think that was the first place my mind went to when I heard about the plastic bags was, oh, well, he probably was trying to asphyxiate himself or somebody was trying to make it look like he asphyxiated himself or somebody did asphyxiate himself, mm-hmm. him, and then you well, know, cut his wrist. But that's where my mind goes with the trash bags. Or it might have been yeah. that, uh, you know, he, he planned to, after he slid his wrist, he planned to bag up his hands so that it wouldn't, it wouldn't make a huge mess. He's and in so, a tub of water. Yeah, but that you're going to start squirt. Sense. You're going to start squirting blood all over the place. There was blood on, on the walls everywhere. Yeah, okay, let's let's talk about so, that, and then I'll, I'll we'll go into some of this stuff to yeah. try and flesh it out. Not to make a terrible pun, but he had uh, Danny had over a dozen cuts in his wrists, so he cut both wrists. The medical examiner said there were seven. This drives me crazy every time. It's not an exact count on both wrists, which is infuriating, but it is seven or eight cuts on the right wrist and three or four cuts on the left. The medical examiner also said that the cuts were much deeper than you would normally see in a suicide. There was and there was no hesitation marks. And there's a lot of cuts. Hey, that's a lot of that cuts. And the examiner said hurts. didn't know how he could have continued on through the sheer pain yeah. based on how deep the cuts were. And by the way, it was uh, Danny right-handed or left-handed? Don't know. Oh. Never looked that up. Didn't even think to look that up. I think he was right-handed guessing from this, but why? It's eight cuts on his right wrist. Yeah, if you're yeah, if you're gonna if you were gonna slash your wrist, you almost if you're right hand dominant, you're probably gonna cut your left wrist first, right? But he had the most cuts on the right wrist. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's cut himself on the left wrist. He's already starting to lose blood at this point. He's probably getting lightheaded. And then with his left hand, he's not as dexterous. And he's also lightheaded because he's losing blood. Ah, I and, see where you're going with you this. Know, and, and also, his, his left hand is in all kinds of pain, so that maybe causes it to spaz out a little bit. So that would explain the But that would seem like there would be hesitation marks there That's then. That's where I was mm-hmm. going. You know, I that would you think. would kind of, you would be stuttering with it almost. Well, on your left, when you're cutting your left wrist? You yeah, mean? or that if Regardless you're, if you're of in which that, one. if you're losing blood and you're kind of, you know, you're, you're stuttering, you're not, mm. it's not going to be nice, perfect... Clean. That was a weird way to refer to that. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> nice clean and perfect. Cuts. It's not going to be those clean cuts that mm-hmm. are really, really deep. Yeah. Yeah. I, Especially because they didn't find any any painkillers or anything in his system, right? They weren't drugs or anything? No. No, let's, um, let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Okay, so we know that that afternoon he went out and when he had dinner, he had a couple of beers. Yeah. And then he came back. We know that he had a can of beer in the tub with him. And apparently a half a bottle of wine. And half a bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. When they did the autopsy, they found that in his system, he didn't have alcohol. How Hmm. much blood was left in his body, by the way? Enough to test, apparently. I guess, yeah. I can't... I don't remember. I think... It wasn't a blood test that they they couldn't just use a regular. So blood. It was a, mm-hmm. they took tissue samples. Instead, they did tissue then. samples. Mm-hmm. I see. Yes, and so but presumably they would have looked at his the contents of his stomach as well. 
I would imagine so. Right. He would have also metabolized some of that before he he the died. The stuff that he had at dinner, certainly. But he had some uh, acetaminophen in his system from some Tylenol three that he had taken. But something like negligible, right? A normal dose. Uh, yeah, n- nothing major. Okay. He had uh, he had a antidepressant in his system, but it was such a small amount of the antidepressant that they can't they couldn't even tell what it was specifically mm. just though this is an antidepressant we don't know which one it is because there's not what enough formula to figure it out. was okay yeah couldn't figure it out okay so no booze tylenol it's weird that he had no booze i know that is, that weird, is the yeah. weirdest part on the antidepressants uh anybody anybody know what antidepressant he was taking he had been prescribed an antidepressant several years prior and it was a very small dose of it and they they don't know nobody has been able to figure out if what he had taken was from that mm. not really sure or if if it had been a recent i mean that stuff kind of sticks around in your system sometimes true certain certain things stick around in your system true and again depending on what they were testing if it were more of a tissue thing that stuff's going to stick around in your tissue certainly more then it's going to, you know, your bloodstream or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So Probably, that'd yeah. be the other question, too, would be how long ago they think the dose was taken. If and he was still taking it daily or... Well, and, and I know that a lot of people will be hearing what we're saying and they're going to be going, well, how do you not know? What do you mean? And the problem is, is there is a ton of conjecture on yeah. this point. Yeah. So much has been written about it when you dig into this case and it is all over the map. So that's why I know I, we've had this conversation mm-hmm. before is I don't want to say it was this because yeah, I can't no corroborate that. There's no way. Yeah. And you know, additional to that, as you were saying, it was ruled a suicide case closed. Mm-hmm. They, the, the investigation was not thorough. They mm-hmm. just kind of assumed that it was what it looked like. And that was it. And so a lot of things got missed. You know, they certainly didn't dust for prints, for instance, they didn't do a lot of the things they would do if they encountered this and thought, oh, this is, this is a murder. And it was ruled a suicide twice. Yeah. Because the first time it was ruled and a stink was raised. Mm-hmm. And so they went ahead and the medical examiners checked the body again. Somebody else did another examination and again said, no, how, it's, it's, it was self-inflicted. How long, uh, how long after the death was the second one? I wonder if I wonder if the police and medical examiner records are still around or if they've been thrown away by this time. Well, this was 1991. Yeah. In back. a suicide, I, you know, I don't know what West Virginia law is for how long they have to keep those kind of records. Yeah. I guess it's just interesting to me that a medical examiner would say something like, these cuts are deeper than anyone would ever expect from a suicide. There's no hesitation marks, and I don't know how he could have kept cutting himself from the pain, but he definitely just kept cutting himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some people have a higher you know, pain I also, tolerance well, than other people, To too. be fair, I don't think the person that made that statement, actually, I'm almost positive the person that made the statement of, I don't know, the, these are way too deep. And the person who judged it a suicide mm. were not the same person. Fair. They were two separate people that okay. made those statements. That's a good clarification. Ah, and there was okay. a note, too, that helped people think that it was yeah. a suicide, right? Yes, there was. So Casalero did, uh, he did leave a note. 
And it was a really short note. Was it handwritten? It was typewritten. Handwritten. Yeah. Absolutely handwritten. And it was his handwriting. His handwriting on a legal pad of his Mm -hmm. sitting, I think it was on the nightstand or on Mm -hmm. the desk, one of the two. So this is important. The pen was there. Yep. It was all all him. The note read, to those I love the most, please forgive me for the worst possible thing I could have done. Most of all, I'm sorry to my son. I know deep down inside that God will let me in. End of note. Yeah, that sounds like a suicide note. It really does. It it totally, totally sounds like a standard suicide note. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's more about a lot of these things that we've talked about. We're going to get into them. But I want to now, and this is going to be a weird case because we're going to turn away from the subject for a, a good little bit here. And we're going to now start running down a completely different path. Yeah, all that stuff you're yeah. investigating. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the one of the first things that got uh, Danny's interest, which is the Inslaw case. Mm. Uh, and you'll see it referred to as Inslaw or Promise, and I'll give you the spelling on that in a minute because it's not the regular spelling of Promise. Yeah, Inslaw was the company, Promise was their product, yep, right? Exactly. So Inslaw stands for Institute for Law and Social Justice, which was a company, uh, Devin's rolling your eyes. It's just a, I mean, like knowing the product they made and knowing what they may or may not have done done it's just like god you guys that's a bad name it was the 70s it's a bad name it was for bad people it was called in-laws yeah it should have been (laughs) in-laws it was a company that was started in 1974 uh, by a guy named william hamilton he was a former nsa employee he also evidently contracted with the cia for a while uh, when he got out of the government sector and he started his own business he created a piece of software which he called promise Promise stands for Prosecutors Management Information System. It's a people tracking program. Mm. Okay, here's I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just try and summarize this the best way I can in the simplest language because this piece of software is kind of complex. Basically, every legal arm would use a different database and have people logged in it. And in the 70s, those things were not connected in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So if the FBI wanted to look for you, they couldn't look in the local law enforcement database. They had to call or... They had to call or or send a letter or Mm -hmm. whatever. Promise was a way to connect all of those databases, regardless of what their OS was. Apparently... I get the feeling that is because there was very simple OSs. These things still worked on computers that were the size of bookcases, mm-hmm. big bookcases. Yeah. So the, it wasn't the it wasn't the most evolved computer. I mean, we're still talking about the late seventies. Yeah. Computing yeah. is not amazing yet. Yeah, I, yeah, I got to say, as a as a former coder, I'm kind of amazed that anybody could write a piece of software that could actually do this. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, oh, yeah. leave it, leave it to a former NSA agent. Yeah, I suppose let's be so. fair. I mean, really. No, they, they. However, they went about it and made that work. It is an amazing accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they upgraded it. Right? They managed to upgrade it through yeah. a well, lot of iterations. They did. they did a lot of things. So, first off, what happens here is before we get to the upgrade, is you need to understand that Inslaw was essentially funded because it was a not-for-profit company, basically funded entirely by the Law Enforcement Assistance Administration, which is a government body. 
it doesn't exist anymore. But that was the government body that paid them all, paid all their bills. Well, some copyright rules went in effect on the 1st of January, 1978, which said that any and all software created prior to that date was in the public domain, but any software created after that was not in the public domain. But, I mean, you could sell it and license it, but you just couldn't take it and use it. That makes sense. It's keeping up with the times. It, it is. Well, know. this And what I'm about to talk here, it, we totally understand this today because this is how software works now. Mm-hmm. But this is not the way software... Nobody understood or had... I shouldn't say understood, but they hadn't gone down the road yet to know what this was going to look like in terms of selling and licensing software. Right, because it was also new. Very new. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, like it's like the debate. I would frame it like the debate with 3D printing right now. Mm-hmm. You can go out and download the the 3D printing matrix for like almost anything, mm-hmm. and pretty soon that's going to have to start being regulated because you can't. You wouldn't download a car, you guys. You wouldn't, right? I, that's the. It's going to be kind of hard I mean, to regulate that, though. I, certainly, but I, there will be there will certain there will be more of a process probably for that. I, don't, I want which the, is similar I want, to this, and I want the feds to know that I have not 3D printed any guns. No, or cars, <laughs> yeah. or cars, or cars, yeah. or yeah. cars. A computer or two, but nothing else. Nothing else. Oh. Nothing yeah. else. <laughs> anyway, that's how I would kind of frame it. Is there's always that new horizon, yes. and the and laws on the are pretty slow to catch up to that. Usually, mm-hmm. this is when it caught up. Yeah. Well, and, you know, of course, the U.S. government, liking Promise, wants to continue to use it, so they go ahead and they get a license for it. The license they get, though, it's a basic user license. That means that they don't have the, they're not um, entitled to make any changes or modification to the software, and they're also not allowed to distribute it. Again, like we talked about before, very, very common stuff for us today. Mm -hmm. All right. It's, I'm sorry, just as a side note, it's always baffling to me that the U.S. government doesn't just develop our own stuff. Like, they have a lot of programmers. Why don't you just, like, make your own software instead of buying stuff from some maybe kind of shady third party? Uh, you know, I, th- I think they've found that... Uh, it's much more efficient to go to the market yeah, and get those things know, than to develop case, it yourself. I don't know. It kind of is. It really I is. I don't know about this with Promise. Well, uh, yeah, you just don't like Promise. <laughs> I just don't. I really, really you just do not don't like, like Promise. promise. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I tend to think that uh, the capabilities of Promise maybe perhaps have been exaggerated just a little bit. I don't think that's actually the case. I think that it was the first of its kind, and it was revolutionary, and that's what the big deal was. It probably wasn't that great, but it was the first which made it amazing. I really think that's what gave it its toehold and what started this whole thing that we're about to go into here. Because what you folks at home need to know is that in 1981, the the Law Enforcement Assistance Administration, uh, they were were dissolved. It went away. It was no more. At which point... Inslaw realized that they needed to make money, so they went from a nonprofit to a for-profit model, and at the same time, they upgraded Promise to Enhanced Promise. Great naming there. Creative. But the thing that they did is, again, these are really old computers. They went from 16-bit to 32-bit in their in their software, mm-hmm. and it was a great leap forward. Again. U.S. government, 
this is awesome. We want it. We're totally going to make a contract with you, which they do. They make a contract that is worth $9.6 million in 1980 money. And they're going to pay that money out over the course of three years mm-hmm. to Inslaw. Mm-hmm. Now, and this is the thing I don't quite understand, is that uh, Inslaw, they're not just buying the software. They're paying them to develop the software, correct? They were do. There's a lot of things. There was maintenance things. There's a lot of stuff in the contract that it's minutia that I don't want to go into. Yeah. Because, again, Inslaw case, what we're, I mean, we've still got a lot to go through. And this thing took 20 years almost to settle out. Yeah, There's a but, lot in the contract. But when they signed this contract, it the the overview is like, not only are we getting this software, but also you will continue to develop it and you will provide support for it mm-hmm. over the span of Absolutely. three years, yeah. right? Yeah. Just yeah. to be clear, it's not like when you go by the Adobe suite and they're like, this is what you get. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's it's, a phone number you can call, more. but we won't answer. Right. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. or you can click on the the chat button, mm-hmm. but oh, but by the way, all representatives are busy, busy because there are no representatives. Uh-huh. Yes. yes. Yeah. That. Okay. We all use Adobe Suite apparently. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> you know, the thing that gets me about oh. when you click on that, they say no representatives are busy. Is I know those those representatives are bots for Christ's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just Back thought that to... was probably worth mentioning that it wasn't just like buying the software you're also getting the development it's a service package as well absolutely and this what happens from here is there's a lot of contention around it like i said it's a huge case 20 years in the making but i'm going to give you kind of the cliff notes version yeah yeah that's exactly where i'm headed the department of justice is one of the people who or one of the groups that was using promise and enhanced promise And they supposedly went ahead and made changes to the software and began to distribute it to other U.S. agencies and, quote, unquote, foreign allies. Of course. What they did when they did that is they, again, this is supposedly added a backdoor to the program. But uh, I have to say that I find those charges kind of less incredible because Inslaw, I would bet you anything, had already added a backdoor. You know, I, mean, I, you know I, don't, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I can't say that if they would or would not. I don't know what the benefit would be. It's not as if the, uh, you know, the Internet was a main way of communication for accessing software. You had to go to the site. That's part. I'm sure that was part of the contract is my terminal in Baltimore, Maryland has crashed. Send your guy to Baltimore, Maryland to fix my terminal. It's not like they were going to remotely log in. Oh, this is by, it's like the, um, when was this? Uh, this all happened in, it began in 81. 81. Okay. So the DARPA net was already up and running. It was, correct? yes. So yeah. they would have been able to. They would have, yeah. but I don't know that they, they would have needed it. I mean, I really get the feeling that they wouldn't have been doing it remotely, but I, I you know, I don't know the technology well enough to, to say that with any degree of certainty. You know, it's hard. It's hard to remember back exactly when did this start happening and when did that start happening? You know what I mean? Oh I, yeah. Yeah. I it is. It know. is. When when was their internet? When was my first my first computer? When was that? Hmm. Mid eighties. <sighs> Your first computer? Something like that. I don't know. I think we had a computer when I was growing up, and the way that we accessed was AOL. Mm-hmm. Oh no no no! It was uh, Netscape first. When you had to like log on only to do a certain things, we had Netscape and we had AOL. That you had to have the disk for. 
Yep. Because um, they always sent you a hundred of those a year in the mail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you had to have the disc, and you ha- you could only log on to you know for you would, so many hours. Yeah, or, or something like that, and it all you know tied up the phone line and all yep. that stuff. But it's ugh, the backdoor thing is so troubling to me. It's so troubling to me, and it's you know either with actually it's more troubling obviously if Inslaw like they just had that programmed in. And that it was every copy, which, to be honest, I think I'm so cynical at this point with technologies that it's just my assumption that, of course, they programmed a backdoor in. Of course they did. Yeah. Of course they did. But even if it was just the Department of Justice that developed it and then had the backdoor and then sold it to the quote unquote foreign allies, it's so troubling and also so typical of things that we've seen come to light in the last 10 years. It's just. So, oh, this is like the precursor. Yeah, well, the precursor. David, uh, D- D- David, who David? knows David? Not me. Devin <laughs> is obviously very jaded. I guess <laughs> about technology. Well, and here's the thing: if you're if you're if you're selling or giving copies to your allies, and you've you've, you've altered it or gotten it made that way so that you can spy on them. Well, that's standard operating procedure. Right. I mean, have you ever heard of the ultra secret? This sounds familiar, but yeah, it was all about the. Uh, it was all about early on. Uh, I don't remember, remember if it was before or in the early years of World War II. Uh, the Polish government actually captured some Enigma machines from the the Germans. Yeah. And now remember the, what those were. Those are the things that were kind of like they look the like giant a typewriter. They look like a, a typewriter, and they had the three dials in them so that you could set the set a key and everything, and they were supposedly. That they would create an unbreakable cipher, and then they managed to reverse engineer those. Basically, take take them apart, especially at Bletchley Park, Park, England. Right. And they had early prototypes of computers, Turing and all and, that. Yeah. Turing and all that, and they and they were using those machines and their new their their computers to break the German code. Mm-hmm. And then after the war, and this is what happened: is they kept that secret. The British kept that secret for many decades after the end of the war. They did. And the reason they did was because after the war, they captured a bunch of Enigma machines from the Germans, and they gave them out to their Commonwealth allies. They gave them to the Canadians and the New Zealanders and the Australians and anybody else you could name, simply because that enabled them to read all their their diplomatic communications. Of course. Yeah. Interesting. And that's that's why the ultra-secret was kept ultra-secret for so many decades. I mean, it it was, I don't remember when it was, I think it was clear into the seventies before they finally revealed what was happening. Hmm. Yeah. This is, I'm just saying, this is the history that I've inherited. It's like par for the course. It's totally normal. (laughs) And then, you know, growing up with the whole WikiLeaks revelations and all of that stuff, you just kind of, that's, you just assume this is what's going on. So for me, this is, this is the, the genesis of that almost. Got it. Well, let's go ahead and tell everybody what happens. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. I guess we're kind of Oh, you want to hear about that? That's, I just, yeah, okay. We yeah. just kind of go down a side road. I, I think <laughs> it's, no, it's related and it makes total sense. And I'm glad we yeah. went there because I wasn't sure where that was going at first, but it totally made sense. <laughs> no, we're there. Yeah. But let's continue on with Inslaw because yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is, this. Is, I know that steam is going to come out of your ears here in a minute, Devin, because I know that you hate this. But what happens is not too long after, like within months of this contract and then getting being signed and the program going out, the, gov- the U.S. government begins to withhold payments to Inslaw. Uh, they make all kinds of claims of breach of contract and all these problems that are going on. Uh, the, the court case begins. This is the court case begins in the early 80s. And eventually it drags on for so long that Inslaw runs out of money 
to keep going. And so they, they try to file for bankruptcy and they want to file for chapter 11 bankruptcy, which lets them simply stand their debts off and restructure. Well, somebody has a friend at the IRS, uh, I think it was the IRS, and they were pushing them to go into Chapter 7 bankruptcy, which would have liquidated the company. So there's some hinky shenanigans, backroom weirdness going on. Long story short, eventually in 1998, the ruling comes out and... The U.S. government has to pay nothing. They yeah. win the case. Yeah. It takes I, almost 20 years, but they win the case against Inslaw, and they're, they're off the hook. I, yeah, I still don't quite understand their case against Inslaw. It's like, you know I mean? Because there was like... Uh, so, I don't get it, Joe. I don't want to go too tell, far into it, the really. The cliff notes of it would be the DOJ got a software from Inslaw. They modified it and then sent it out. And then I think their modifications didn't work super great. And so they said, oh, hey, Insla, you sold us some faulty stuff, so we're not actually going to pay you anymore. Yeah, no, we're not going to pay you. And Insla said, no, no, you altered it. So, yeah, we're not going to guarantee your alterations to it. And then that was the case. And, of course, shockingly, the Supreme Court was like, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. This one didn't even get to the Supreme Court, I don't think. I think it got to the Court of Appeals as far as it went. Sorry. Okay, so where whatever court it made it to, shockingly, the the U.S. run court <laughs> said, allows the U.S. to win. Oh, what? No, the the no. Of course, the government didn't do anything wrong. No, of course they didn't. You, they don't owe you anything. Yeah, I know. Well, that's a good reason to uh, not give these people too much power, huh? Yeah. 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 So, well, Weird. if if this kind of case really gets you going like it does uh, <laughs> us you too i wasn't this, <laughs> this upset is why about you it got to do it because we both were like this is going to be a five-hour episode if i do if it you yeah. re- this stuff really gets you going though you there is tons of information out there about this case it really it's, it's yeah, can't, super interesting but it's it's huge it's can't huge. say how accurate all that information is yeah, well you know it, it is court cases so there's it? more stuff right there oh, yeah, other, there's, there's there more things. stuff other so mysteries. let's let's keep moving forward because we are only on step one of seven. Oh, <laughs> so what else was he investigating besides? Okay, Kingsla? well, yeah, let's let's before we get into the next link in the the chain, I want to talk about one of Casalero's sources, and that is a guy by the name of Michael J. Reconoscuto. A.K.A. Danger Man. Can we just call him Danger Man for the rest of the time? <laughs> well, yeah. it's what, if you, if you read like in Danny's yeah. notes, that's what he called him. We can call him Danger Man from here on. Another we may as well. Because that's way easier to say. Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, Danger Man was a whistleblower on the Inslaw case. And he, he's in jail now, isn't he? Surprisingly. He is. He claimed on record that he was the one that had programmed the back door into promise uh, at the direction of the U.S. government. And, of course, you know, Danny talks to him and Danger Man tells him a lot of things. Danger Man tells anyone who will listen to him a lot of things. He, um, he says a lot of things with a, a high degree of certainty and, uh, 
Yeah, he, he really knows what he's talking about. Like, he is confident in the things that he says and shares. Mm-hmm. That's uh, all you have to do to fool most people, though. Well, here's just be confident be in what you're saying. Yeah. Here's the problem um, is uh, he really, he really, 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 really got Danny going on a lot of the things that he shared with him. Evidently, they spent a lot of time talking. But as Joe said, uh, Danger Man is in jail. Yeah, surprisingly. Uh, yeah. He went to jail. Um, he's, he's, he's he was arrested eight days after coming forward as a witness in the Inslaw case. Uh, he was arrested for possession of methamphetamine and methadone and was charged with 10 different counts it's related a setup, to man. drugs. It was a setup. Obviously, they were trying to keep him quiet. He says it was a setup. Um, oh, by the way, just as a fun little bit of things that he's claimed. Yeah. He's, was, he went to jail in the 80s. Okay, he's been in there for a long time. He claimed that he had knowledge that 9-11 was going to happen and had had his lawyers reaching out to make contact with government agencies, but they since, didn't listen to it. Since the 1980s? Well, he made contact before, just before 9-11, months mm-hmm. ahead of and time. He, he knew that uh, 9-11 was going to happen because how? I don't know that. Yeah. Nobody seems to know that. Yeah. We don't know how he gets his information. Yeah. He just seems to have a lot of information. Got a direct line to God. Something. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, that's Danger Man, and Danger Man is going to come up a number of times in our story, so I wanted to bring him to everybody's attention. Okay. Let's let's go to a completely different thing, which is the Cabazon Band of Mission Indians. They're a uh, American Indians. They it's a their reservation is in California, and it's it's in your coach. Coachella? <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Which everybody knows where Coachella is. Yeah. Well, it's Riverside County. All California. you have to do yeah. is find the white girls in weird rave wear. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. People probably know about this tribe of Indians in this country without knowing who this tribe of Indians are. Mm. And there's a really good reason for it. The the in the 1980s the Cabazon and there's another tribe the Morongo, really hope I'm saying that right. They both they were on a completely different reservation. They both had small bingo parlors on their land, and the state of California came in and said, "You are violating gambling laws, and we are going to shut you down." And they said, screw you, this is our land. And that's exactly what they (laughs) said. And they went to court. And in 1987, uh, they won against the state of California. And it wasn't too long after that that you started seeing Indian gaming casinos pop up all over the United States. This That's is true. a weird thing because to me that seems so ubiquitous because it's you know, been around my entire life. Yeah, when I was when, when I was a kid, they weren't. You didn't see that stuff. It's so weird. It's see, weird. I, to, it's weird to conceptualize. I remember where I grew up. Yeah. the casino starting just as I was graduating from high school. Like I, it, it, there was none of them there, and then all of a sudden they were all over yeah. that portion it's of weird. the state. Yeah, like, it is all at. All it's totally weird. Yeah, because when we would drive, you know, to family vacations and things like that, we would pass a bunch of them. And for mm-hmm. me, it's just always been a thing. Yeah. It's weird. I guess I didn't realize it was that recent. It has. It is pretty recent. Yeah. yeah. Um, according, well, according to Ken Thomas, who's the guy who wrote The Octopus. Oh, yeah. That book he read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, that was a great book. Uh, according to him, the tribe was greatly influenced by outsiders, uh, both before the case and after. 
and um, those outsiders kind of took control of the the leaders of, of the the tribal council. They got all the power, and from uh, from the notes that uh, Danny left. One of the people who was uh, of interest was a guy by the name of John Nichols. And according to Danger Man, Nichols, who was involved doing all this stuff on the reservation, was bringing international business associates to the reservation to talk business. I'm guessing illegal business, and I'm guessing because they were on sovereign land, they were okay to talk about illegal things. The reason for that, I I don't I don't understand it. I'm I'm going to be very honest. When it comes to the stuff that happens with this tribe on this reservation, based on the claims by Ken Thomas, I am a little dubious well, because this, uh... I can't back them up anywhere else. I will tell you the things that I have read, but I cannot substantiate yeah, most of it. Oh, no. So, and, and, and again, this stuff, I believe, wasn't this stuff uh, stuff that uh, the Danger Man, a.k.a. Uh, Rikana Skioto, told him? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. this again, this is the might... source is driving him to some strange links that he is then either making the connection of on his own or being told very directly that there's a link. Well, they would be hard to substantiate. Too. Well, and if it's on sovereign land, I can kind of get that. I can also see when it's coming from Danger Man, it's hard to substantiate. Mm-hmm. But here's here's what's going on on the reservation, according, according to Thomas. Okay. According, according to Thomas, according, according to Danny, according to Danger Man, right? Correct. So there's like it's a, a game of telephone, right? Okay. Absolutely. Uh, there were illegal dealings and. I don't know exactly what those dealings were. Uh, there was arms manufacturing. There was, and this is evidently true, they were selling cigarettes uh, uh, by mail off the reservation, so well, there's no taxes. That's that's standard operating procedure. And they started to sell booze by mail without taxes until uh, they got shut down for that. I like um, these guys. <laughs> uh, they uh, set up a partnership with Wacken Hut Corporation, which is that people... Wackenhut or Vakenhut? Uh, it's wa- I'm pretty sure it's Wackenhut. I like Vakenhut better. Well, the uh, this group is known for security work with uh, just about everybody, and they also do security at uh, prisons. So they're so they're really upstanding gentlemen. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's a giant corporation that has just recently in the last five years been taken over by another corporation mm. and I went to their website and I was trying to do reading on them. Was and it like an image hosting site that had like some weird... No. Well, yeah, but it is amazing yeah. how sanitized their website is. Mm-hmm. Like the Whoever writes their stuff, it's great PR because I'm reading oh, something here yeah. and going, what? That doesn't... What? These people don't sound like those people at yeah. all. Oh, no, they they're might, good they, at that. They might not actually be those people. You know, they might know. not. You're yeah. right. But they probably are. Possibly. Well, the point about the tribe that really got uh, really got Casalero going was a murder. There was a gentleman by the name of Fred Alvarez. He and two other people were murdered in 1982. Alvarez at the time was a tribal leader. And again, this is according to Ken Thomas. 
And he was killed because he wasn't supporting all of the changes that were taking place on the reservation and with the tribe based on the direction of Nichols. So he kind of tried to stand up to him and was killed for it is the line that I understand. Yeah, but the, was he on reservation land when the, he was murdered? I believe so, yeah. Oh, really? Because as I say, I mean, uh, Riverside County is in Southern California, so of course he was killed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, yeah, no, it did. It uh, it did happen. I'm pretty sure it did happen on there. But but the point is, this whole thing with the reservation can't can't substantiate any of it, but I'm going to tell you about it because you will will read about it in different places. We're going to move forward to the next step in the puzzle. Yeah, I'm a little off the reservation on this particular we're going to go to the next one, which, which I one? know uh, if we don't control him, Joe is probably going to have a field day with. And that so is she's o- just... yeah. October Surprise. Yeah. People may or may not have heard of the October Surprise. So let me let me give you the basics on this. Ni- it's 1979, and the U.S. Embassy in Tehran is stormed by revolutionaries. Uh, yeah, that students. sounds familiar. They were students. The revolutionaries? Yeah, well, the, the, it was the Iranian Revolution, which began in, like, October 1978, but then the the people who ran over in the embassy were students. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, they all were part, radical it's students. part of the revolution. But it is so part of the revolution, yes. So they technically are I revolutionaries. Guess, I guess they're revolutionaries. Um, American diplomats are taken hostage at this time. And the it's November fourth, nineteen seventy nine is the exact date. Seriously, this sounds so familiar. Yeah. Well, that is yeah. probably because you are familiar with the story because of the movie Argo. Yeah, Argo with Ben Affleck. Something yourself. Yeah. Which um, I don't know why is that. I always have references to Ben Affleck movies. You just like him oh, so, much. Him so really much. Really do. You're it's in love weird. With him. Yeah. I know. Okay. You keep talking about Batman versus Superman. You won't <laughs> shut up about it. <laughs> Okay, well, so these people have been taken hostage, and this is where the surprise portion of the story comes in, because if you remember U.S. history, you will know that 1980 was a presidential election year, and Jimmy Carter was running against that silly actor, Ronald Reagan. Who knows who that guy is? Yeah. He was the governor. uh, Former governor of California. Mm -hmm. Well, in a bid to stop Carter from pulling the political version of a rabbit out of a hat, according to the conspiracy of the October Surprise, what the Reagan campaign does is they get a hold of the uh, the Iranians and they say, hey, don't release those people no matter what. And that way he can't, uh, Carter can't come out as the hero and cinch the election at the end, mm. which would be in October, which would make an October surprise. I guess yeah. I would, ar- not to... Uh, yeah, I'm, go ahead. I'm going to lean into it. I guess the argument there would be then that Reagan was already selected by, if we're talking about it, there's like this weird octopus the octopus thing yeah. right that the octopus had already selected that reagan was going to be president well, and therefore supported not. carter so much they well, were willing to but yes but well, that's the other but it's but, the same thing either way but i mean uh, these alleged contacts between the reagan campaign didn't take place until i mean they didn't start right after the the, the, the hostages were seized we're talking like you know late summer right but when it was when it was clear that if carter was able to negotiate the release that he would become president because he would be he would be real he would but but here's the thing 
is that Carter probably would not have been reelected even if the hostages had been freed. If they'd been freed early on, then yeah. But the hot, but this thing drug on and on. Right, but and, I just mean that. Now, yeah, the theory is that yeah, if if Carter had that, that is that is the basis of the October surprise theory. Is mm-hmm. that if the hostages had been freed, let's say in October, then or and, uh, months beforehand, yeah. Well. A month beforehand, something like a that. Month Somewhere beforehand. in that time, he would have so, been. Yeah, exactly. But no, he would not have been. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Because because here's the deal: Carter almost certainly wouldn't have been reelected anyway. Because the thing about it is, is that the hostages are freed, but that doesn't make the whole the th- the thing about it is, is it graded on the American people very much that this thing went on and on, and Carter was not able to do anything about it. 444 days. It did, yeah. And, you know, you could argue that his hands were kind of tied. That's fair. But, the you know, the hostage thing doesn't just go away if the hostages are released. The other thing is, is the economy was in the crapper. The Iranian revolution had caused oil, had caused oil production to drop worldwide, which had caused oil prices and gas prices to go up. There were shortages. There were gas lines at gas stations. In the year 1980, the average inflation rate was 13.5%. Unemployment was really high. Carter you know, was not going to win that it was, election. It was bad. Now, and, but, well, but here's the deal. If you want to read some really good research about the October Surprise Theory, read uh, a book called Guests of the Ayatollah by Mark Bowden, who you may have, you may have heard of one of his books, at least. He wrote Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, great book, by the way. And Guests of the Ayatollah is really good, too. Mm-hmm. And he went to Iran, and he interviewed tons of people, officials, and a lot of the students that were hostage takers and everything. And he asked them about the October surprise, and they all laughed. They all just said, no, our motivation was not anything to do with the Reagan campaign. Our motivation was we really hated Carter's guts. <laughs> no, and they did, and it's, it's and not it's not rational on their part. But for them, this was Bowden's words. For the, for those people, uh, Carter was the personification of the great Satan. For that reason, they hated him so much that they held on to the hostages until inauguration day. When Reagan was inaugurated, they let the hostages go because it was a final insult to Carter. A final thumb in his eye. Yeah. And last of all, they really loved the idea, before and after the election, they really loved the idea that they were the force that was toppling the leader of the free world. Yeah. And they kind of got him. They really liked that idea a lot. There's, I think there's, yeah, there's definitely something to be said for movements in general. Uh, the people who are on the ground, the boots on the ground saying like, no, we're empowered by this thing. But if there's something that is managing to control the way that those boots on the ground are viewing whatever issue they're protesting or whatever, I think oftentimes that it's not recognized, right? So it's totally possible that in situations, right, you'd be like, well, that's not our motivation at all. It was this thing. But it was like, well, but where did you hear that it was that thing? Did you you hear that? I'm I'm a little confused. So, so, you're saying they were confused when they thought that no, they No, I'm not saying that they or... specifically were confused. I just mean in general, those movements, it's very interesting to watch how the boots on the ground, people who are actually doing the protesting and the holding and all that stuff are mm-hmm. influenced by... You have the impression in your brain as one of those people, because I've been one of those people, who say, you know, where there's, it's just, this is the movement and the we're all there. The belief that you're operating under versus the belief of the actual group. Is that where you're headed? I guess I'm saying I'm a little lost as well. You're all lost. It's okay. I'm saying that the people who are doing the thing, who are acting out the movement, very often are influenced by some overarching something. And right now, it's really easy to kind of say, well, it's this social media movement. But there's often the really loud voices of people 
who are more spokespeople. Yeah, the spokespeople almost of that movement that are that influence where that movement goes and what focus it takes. Mm -hmm. And it's always really interesting to look even before social media where those influences came from and how they may not be as pristine as many people think they are. Got it. Is where did that clarify? Interestingly about the students, uh, the government itself that eventually came out on top was Islamist and, and and but the students themselves were actually left wingers for the most part. They were they were kind of socialist types and everything. And but they they were united with the Islamists in hating the Shah. The Shah, yeah, right. they wanted Shah. the Shah out of power. And the Shah, yeah, and right. of course they were united in, in hating Americans, even though actually they treated the hostages reasonably, uh, not perfectly, but they, they didn't treat them pretty good. Though. They didn't better they, than we treat them often. They yeah, they. I mean, it's not like it's not like they killed anybody, you know, and um, and so and. Uh, and they actually let one guy go because he was sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm know, just, so, yeah, so my argument 52, is but... phrasing it kind of in this broader conspiracy that we're talking about in the octopus that it would be really easy for an octopus agent to influence, influence the movement itself. So well, possible, let's, but, uh, let's, <laughs> let's move forward <laughs> yes. before we get too far off on this. Okay. Because the point is that for the theory or the... Of the October surprise, it is, of course, as we've said, that, you know, Reagan was involved or the Reagan administration in some version was involved and negotiated with them to not let the hostages go mm-hmm. until it was all done. And the proof that is the, the proof theory, to the people but... who believe in this theory is that, as you said, when they got let go, because the hostages were let go on the 20th of January, 1981, which is yeah. also election or uh, inauguration, the day, day. inauguration, inauguration day. day in yeah. the United States. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's one thing that kind of actually shoots a hole in the whole October surprise thing, because if the Reagan campaign had approached them and just said, Hey, just hang on to them just at, just after election day, and then you can do whatever you want, then they probably would have let them go because here's the deal. And then Bowden talks about this again in his book, guests of the Ayatollah, in case you didn't hear it the first time. <laughs> uh, he talks about this. He said that students actually, by the time the election was approaching, they were actually getting kind of sick of being prison guards. They were not, they were not that thrilled That's with it terrible anymore. Terrible job. Yeah, yeah. 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 The newness was wearing off of it. And also the Iranians really badly wanted some spare parts because they had a lot of U.S. planes, for example, warplanes and stuff. And we were obviously, we're not, we're not giving them those spare parts. And so they had some motivation to actually let the hostages go earlier than they did. The only possible explanation for them holding the hostages until January 20th was pure spite towards Carter. That is the only possible explanation. Let's move forward. Can okay. we? Yes. Because yeah. we have another big one. Oh, yeah. There's we got another several good one. to go. We're going to move to the next thing, which is actually connected to the October surprise. Oh, my it God. Is? How is it connected? According to the theories, it's connected mm-hmm. to the October surprise. Let me, let me clarify right. it that way, okay? Okay. Next thing we're going to talk about is the Iran-Contra affair. <sighs> Okay. Most I, I really I hope I think most people know about this to one degree or another. A lot of people I do, I do not don't. recall. I, that's why I know <laughs> it because I grew up with that phrase yeah. and I use that phrase. You ever want to get it? 
as a kid in high school in the 90s, if you wanted to get in trouble, you used that phrase. Because I used to use that as my way out all the time, and I got into a lot of trouble hmm. for it. Okay. So let me, should I sum this up? I think I can do it pretty concisely. Yeah, if you, yeah, go the for Iran it. The Iran-Contra affair, okay, because I remember it. Yeah, yeah I, okay. I do too, but go for it. Yeah, okay, yeah, so uh, the, the Iranians, after the hostage crisis, they managed to contrive to get some more American hostages. I think they bought, mo- most of them have been kidnapped in Lebanon, I think, and they just bought them, basically, and had them shipped to Iran, literally in boxes. And they were holding these guys. Meantime, in, the, in, South, in South, or Central America, in Nicaragua, the Sandinistas came to power. They were a bunch of communists. And then uh, an opposition group arose, called, which were called the Contras, which were, you know, basically... Freedom fighters. Yeah, an insurgency against them. And so uh, the Reagan administration wanted to get the hostages back. And, of course, even though ostensibly they had a no negotiations, no ransom policy for that kind of thing, of course, governments usually honor those only about part of the time, you know, not all the time. And so... They figured out a sneaky way. The Iranians were under an, arm, an arms embargo, so we sold them arms and in order to, in order, and also to get our hostages back. So they got they got guns, we got money and hostages, and then the, the funds were diverted to the Contras in Central America. So that was the whole thing. A little bit of Ill- illegality, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they were trying to get the hostages back and all that stuff. And so it was scandalous, you know. But and, yada yada. And the way and what people do is they say when we talked about in October Surprise, people say that the Reagan campaign negotiated some kind of future payoff. Uh-huh. That's what the payoff was. They're yeah. saying, well, what happened in the Iran Contra affair? That was the payoff. So it it proved it anymore it, uh, it actually doesn't prove it though it doesn't <laughs> because and, and I, mean, I want to point out here this is this is an important point so that people don't get confused at the time of Casalero's death the Iran Contra affair was basically done and over with yeah it was so it's not as it, it's its outcome had already happened so he knew about that what hadn't happened was the official you're gonna love this don't don't freak out Devin the official government investigation into the October surprise, which officially said that there was officially no official conspiracy. Officially. Yeah. Officially. Yeah. But that could also be the octopus at work. I just love it when a government body comes out and says, oh, no, we didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. I right. Because that's essentially what we're saying, right? We're saying yeah. that the this government body came out and said this government body didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. But of course, you know, uh, uh, there were the, t- so many freaking but we do claims it. I mean, made, it happens but, all but the time. But here's the problem with the October surprise is, as Joe said, the facts don't substantiate it. There was no, a lot don't. of claims Absolutely. that were made yeah. that were <laughs> bogus yeah but yeah we need to keep going no no one last thing uh the the actual october surprise theory originated with a guy named gary sick who was a former advisor to jimmy carter oh <laughs> do you think perhaps this of guy course, might have had an course. axe to grind no. but, but yeah and, and so but also the, the idea that that uh they were probably the iranians were promised some sort of quid pro quo by the reagan campaign well, uh, that's absurd, because why would the Reagan administration bother to keep their promise? They don't need to. Nations break their promises all the time. It's true. Uh, and so their motivation, obviously, they wanted to get the, the hostages back, and they wanted to get some strings-free cash to give to their buddies the Contras. That's, that's more than enough motivation right there. Yeah. Should we move to the next uh, link in the chain here? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. This one's kind of boring. I don't really <laughs> care about this well, one. Yeah. This one's boring. It'll be easy then. 
We are going to now move on to the Bank of Credit and Commerce International. Great name. Really, really exciting yeah, name. They're sexy, as Joe would say. Yeah, yeah. It's a sexy name. In his hunt for the octopus, this is one of the things that Danny came across. BCCI was a international bank. It was founded in 1972. Within 10 years, it was worth over 20 billion U.S. Had 400 or over 400 branches. They were in 77 or 78 countries. They were the seventh largest bank in the world. They're friggin' huge. In 10 years. In 10 years. That's not nothing. Nice. That's not nothing. Well, they came under scrutiny uh, in the 80s because there were some concerns that maybe they weren't actually properly being regulated. Weird. It's like they raised to the seventh most popular bank in the world in 10 years. Which mm. is very strange. So yeah. maybe we should look really, into this. Huh. Not that strange when you got all this octopus money flowing into your coffers. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that the investigations into BCCI found that there was a massive money laundering and a ton of other financial crimes being committed. And somehow, and it's it's described as illegally, but I, I didn't actually do enough reading on BCCI to know what the illegal part was, because this is financial stuff that is a little above my pay grade, but somehow they illegally gain control uh, or controlling interest, I should say, in a major U.S. bank. Hmm. Point is, they were looked at, they were investigated on the 5th of July, 1991. Regulators and law enforcement, uh, they raided the bank's locations in seven different countries all at once and seized everything and locked them down. Hmm. So this is um, Danny Castellero. How far did he progress in his investigation of BCCI? The, well, the, 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 Lockdown of BCCI happened, well, that happened in July. Danny died in August, so it was two months before he died. Nine months before he died? A July month. and August? July and August. Oh, it is one month. Wow. Yeah. I really yeah. can't do math. You tonight. really can't, yeah. Wow. But the point is, he had, he had been re looking into them, and he was making a lot of, again, this is the octopus, a lot of connections to some shady things. Uh, was he making those connections or was uh, Ricardo Schiotto making those Danny, connections for him? Danger, Danger Man. man. Well, you know, yeah. I can't, I, I don't know how much of it came from Danger Man or how much of it at least started with him. There have been allegations by unnamed source. Ugh. Unnamed sources who is quoted as saying that they were the go, the BCCI was the go to location for people who wanted expensive slash illegal things and for them to be connected to people who had those things. Mm. They were the conduit. And it's claimed that, like Oliver North, part of the Contra money. The yeah, Iran Contra yeah, money Iran went Contra through thing, BCCI. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. um, there are claims that S Saddam Hussein used them. Um, Abu Nadal used them. Mm. Like there's there's some, there's some big claims to say really that they, big people guys. were yeah. funneling money through them. Mm -hmm. But I, I, it's such a crazy, crazy case. Again, this is just like so, the other ones. It's way too big to go into huge. all the details. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so BCCI is kind of an interesting case in and of itself. Mm -hmm. that, that we They're can't all, really, like every single facet of this is kind of an interesting case in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Which, which is frustrating. But in, in a way, it's, um, it's funny is that the bank, at least on the outside, looks like the most boring aspect of it. Because who cares? It's a bank that did some bad things and they got busted, except... That when you get look at it from the perspective of where we're investigating the octopus, it could be that they were instrumental in setting up. They were instrumental in its spread, in greasing the right palms for them to be able to do the things they did to then find the clients on one or both end to get the money trades. Like there's suddenly all these avenues that open up that this dirty bank could have been involved with. And it all could have been thanks to the octopus, the octopus. But here's the, here's the reason I don't believe any of that no. is that the octopus could easily have prevented the bank being investigated and shut down if they had that kind of power. So that's unless, why unless the bank had ceased to be useful. Mm hmm. In one way or the other, either there was something wrong because like one of the two uh, founders of the bank, uh, he ran and then subsequently killed himself when the, when everything got shut down, I get the feeling that he may have been a bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a loose cannon, but he was a little unbalanced, a, a little unbalanced. He was a bit of a trouble, you know, like mm. this guy could be a problem. So we should probably do this. They he was may have found another way zone. to do it all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they may have found a way to do it all under the radar. So they didn't need it anymore. Like yeah. you got to be careful in saying, well, you know, with these things, cause there's a whole host of ways that could have gone. It's also hard as soon as you start being able to say like, well, this public thing happened and it was connected to this bank. And then this public thing happened. It was connected to this bank. As soon as those right coincidences start coming into play, I think that any smart shadow organization is going to say, all right, shut it down. We can't yeah. do that anymore. No, we that's can't true. do that anymore. That's true. But when they, when they shut it down and seize their assets, what were their assets? Uh, still specifically, I don't know, yeah. but again, I know that they, they, their assets were worth 20, over 20 billion us at some point, yeah. at some point. Uh, well, it was in 80 in the early eighties. Yeah. It was, uh, so worth that. I don't know what it was billion, in the nineties. Yeah. So 20 billion bucks is not much today, but it was real money back in those yeah. days. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's the way to tell it. This was actually an octopus asset. If the books have been cooked and and everything's been embezzled and essentially all the assets are gone when the bank is busted and there's only maybe a hundred million bucks left, if that, well, there you know, it was the octopus. If there's twenty million bucks sitting there, assets to be seized, well, it wasn't the octopus. Unless yeah. unless the U.S. government is under the purview of the octopus and well, they re they just gave it back to them. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, they just gave it back to them. Yeah, make it look shady. Do you, to the do, you, do you see the feedback loop that it's we hard. get into with uh -huh. this? Oh, it's yeah. really it's hard. really difficult. Yeah. But there are... There's so many other things I want to talk a, about right there, now. There are a bunch more <gasps> of things that are in uh, Casalero's notes of connections that he's made. We are not, however, going to go through them all. I'm just going to list them out for you. Oh, here because okay. Yeah, really fast. Talking fast. We have yeah. been over an hour already. So it is. We, we've got to kind of get close here. Okay, but, fine. According to either Danny Casalero or Ken Thomas, depending on who made that particular link, 
we have the Watergate scandal and Nixon's outing as something that the octopus was responsible for. Is that Nixon's outing or ousting? Ousting would be correct. <laughs> okay. I was well, it was saying... Nixon's outing. He had a picnic basket. Uh, he was uh, on the lawn. It was a great day. Oh, there's another kind of outing, too. But, <laughs> okay, yeah. well, uh, we can move on. There is, and I really hope I pronounce this correctly, but there's the dismissal of the Australian Prime Minister, Go Whitlam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the, well, potentially, according to this, maybe the revolution in Iran that outed the Shah, the ousted 79. The Shah? Uh, outed, ousted. You know what? The Shah went out. Yeah, he, <laughs> he did went out for a night on the town, Joe. Yeah, he did, he did sort of. Okay, bloody. his ousting. Uh, there is the murder of Chilean President Salvador Allende, the assassination of U.S. President Kennedy. There is, man, there's all kinds of purported shenanigans on the Papago Indian Reservation, uh, anywhere from CIA drug smuggling to gold and platinum smuggling to a lot of weird stuff. But then it, huh? then the list starts to get even crazier uh-huh. because then we get Area 51. We have the Human Genome Project, and we have the death of Princess Diana. Yeah, one of my favorites. Yeah, I didn't know when we did that episode. Yeah, if only we had known, uh, we might have solved it. But this is how you know that the octopus is real, because they've actually, you know, put up a bunch of web pages and they keep grabbing these, these, all these accusations and tacking on loonier and loonier and loonier things. And so it's got to be the octopus. Well, here's the... Or it could be just random D-bags on the internet, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two options. Yeah. I do, I do have to say that in any good conspiracy theory, if you've got a secret cabal that is in operation, you have to have a bunch of people who die under mysterious circumstances. Are there a lot? And Danny can't be the only one. And indeed, there are a good number that are pointed to. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Yeah. We have a journalist by the name of Anson Ng. He was a reporter. He was in, he was shot and killed while he was in Guatemala. He was trying to track down a guy named uh, Jimmy Hughes. Jimmy Hughes was actually connected to the Cabazon Indian Re- Reservation. He was shot in the chest. It was ruled a suicide. Sure. Yeah, not, probably not the first choice for suicidal people, but, yeah. you know, I mean... Guy named Jonathan Moyle. He was an editor for Defense Helicopter World, which was a magazine. He was found hanging in a wardrobe in his hotel room with a pillowcase over his head in March of 1990. Initially, the death was ruled a suicide, even though there was blood on his bed and a needle mark in his leg. Eight years sure. later, it was ruled a murder. Right. We have Alan Standorf. His Standorf's job was to oversee security measures at Vint Hill, which is described as a listening post. Um, it would monitor radio communications. He uh, went home for the holidays in 1991 for the Christmas holiday, left his family, went home, and was found dead in the backseat of his car at the airport on the 4th of January, 1992, he died from blunt force trauma to the back of his head. That was ruled a suicide, right? I believe it was uh, ruled a suicide or they just had no no leads on I it. Feel I feel like you're just listing one. our next 20 episodes. Uh, well, I don't have huh. 20 people, thankfully. We have Larry Guerin. Larry was a private investigator who worked for Danger Man. 
and was killed in 1987 while he was investigating the Inslaw case. That's according to Danger Man himself, I assume? Well, no, uh, I believe that it is known, because he was a PI, it was known that he was looking into the Inslaw case, but his death, we don't really know what the deal was. We have another guy by the name of Paul Wilcher. Wilcher was a lawyer who deci- who died in, you see it called disputed circumstances on a regular basis. He died in disputed circumstances mm. a month after he wrote a letter to the then newly appointed U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno. Uh, he was saying that the CIA was killing people to cover up its mind control experiments. Harp. And that Waco was the incident that happened in Waco, Texas, was one of those events. The point here is he wrote this letter and he said Waco was a cover-up. On the 23rd of June, 1993, he was found dead in his apartment. He was tied in a fetal position. Um, oh, and by the way, he also he he also had uh, as a lawyer represented Danger Man, as well as another guy uh, who was a pilot who said that he had flown George H. W. Bush to his meeting for uh, setting up the October surprise. Uh-huh. Last guy on the list is Ian Spiro. Spiro. Possibly. I, I don't see any uh, exact stuff on this, but he had worked for both the CIA and the British intelligence, and he's alleged to have worked on or with the uh, campaign for October Surprise and the uh, oh, oh, and the Iran-Contra affair. Oh, and the, uh, the Lebanon hostage crisis. Uh, oh, and uh, he also talked to Danger Man, so he has a lot of connections. Well... His wife, his son, and his daughters were found shot to death on the 5th of October 1992. Four days later, he was found dead behind the wheel of his uh, SUV. He died of cyanide poisoning. Yeah, that's not suspicious at all. Mm-hmm. No, it's obvious. Murder-suicide. Okay, so. No. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen... That is, A, the story of Danny Casolaro. And the octopus. And the octopus. And a bunch of the pieces that are claimed to have linked the octopus octopus to uh, the death of Danny. I'm not quite seeing all the connections there. So we, we we have two simple theories. And our theories are only focused on Casalero. We're, we're not going to go into the octopus because that I think we've done enough of. We're going to just talk about the two theories, which is either A, he did kill himself, or B, he did not, which means somebody else did. Right. Yeah. Well, the first thing that people will turn to in the theory that he killed himself, that he committed suicide, is that he had money problems. And he wasn't doing that great financially. Like I said before, he sold his interest in the magazine pretty early and could have gotten a lot more money had he waited longer. Yeah, he might have been a little depressed about that, huh? Possibly. He also had written a book, which was not a seller. In other words, he was not really making any money off of that book. But then again, his family had money, so he could have probably got some help with from his family. Well, the, you know, the thing about it is, is you don't know how often he's gone to his family for help in the past. He it's might, true. He might, like, just really not relish the idea of going back yet again. I never yeah. want to ask my family for money. No, no he does. No. no. There are things that you will find about him. He had, uh, they, they found out 
in the through the medical examination, the autopsy, they found out that he had multiple sclerosis, and he evidently had been given a diagnosis of that prior to it sounds like at least six months prior to his death. It also sounds like he had a very very mild case of it. But you will see that pointed to as a reason for him to have decided to end his life. Yeah, makes sense. It's a very minor, minor case, though. But we also have things that we talked about before, which is there was nothing in his system of any significant amount in terms of drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Which kind of really deals a serious blow to the theory that somebody else did him because did him in because you would think that they would have easy route drugged him or got him drunk so that he was incapacitated and couldn't fight back. Yeah, because that's that's the whole thing. Is there's no marks on his body, no signs of a struggle. Well, of course, they could, if there had been a struggle, they could have straightened things up, I suppose, before yeah. they left. And, the and then th- it's hard also, sorry, with the plastic bags, if you think, you know, they kind of strangled him almost. I don't know how extensive the autopsies were, and if if you were just strangled him until he passed out and then cut his wrists and then left. You know, it's sure there's no sign of the struggle. You would think that. You would think so, huh? Yeah, but I because don't know. Because he would have, he would have struggled back. He yeah, would have walked back. The yeah. plastic bag over the head, for example, I'll buy that. But there, there's going to be bruises. There's going to be marks from where somebody gripped his arms and To really hold him down hold so him that down. they could yeah. hold the bag yeah. on his head. Yeah, and That's so, true. Yeah. Here's the other problem. And this is one of the things that is a major, major mark against the fact that he was killed by somebody else. And that is the investigation that was done and the into the scene in the bathroom. They, a pathologist, I think it was, I want to say it's a pathologist. This guy's name, I can never remember. And I've had a hard time finding his stuff. But basically they gave all this information to a crime scene investigator and said, look at the blood spray. Look at where everything is. And this guy went through and he said, Oh, yeah, it's pretty obvious that nobody else was there because there was no void. Mm. Exactly. There was no, no void. Shadows, yeah. No no shadows in the blood splatter, yeah. spatter, which means nobody was standing there to catch that spraying liquid. Right. Yeah. Now, the weird thing about that guy is that... He worked for the octopus. No. Sorry. Absolutely. There yeah. is... There is some point in the the scene, I think it's the towels on the floor, that was not initially given to him mm. and in all of the description of the scene that he got. And it's the weirdest thing is that as soon as he found out about the towels, he retracted the whole thing. Hmm. I didn't have all the information. That can't be a correct... I I can't stand behind what I said because I, I can't say that it's right because... It's just, it's the, How exactly did, did the towels negate his, his observation that there were no shadows? I don't friggin' know. Yeah. I don't get well, it. Well, okay, in fairness, right? It's, and maybe it's from a professional stance. I don't want to make this claim right, without I, I all the information. All the, yeah, but I, I guess it's, you know, again, there, there aren't really crime scene photos. I haven't gone out to see, but it seems reasonable that there would be a place that one could stand that wouldn't create a shadow that would just be Uh, blood free it's not like it's a 360 you would have to be in the tub under the water Um, if uh, 
Yeah, because he's talking like blood spatter, not just on the walls, but on the floor too, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. But so I, I would I would guess that the towels had something to do with where the blood would have reasonably flowed and how saturated the towels would have been. I really, I really. That would not... be my guess if I had to guess why he would retract that. But uh, you know, the other hand is maybe he just on a professional courtesy was like, oh, I didn't actually have all the information. I'm not comfortable doing this anymore. And I the don't towels know. are a weird thing. They're I mean, weird. It, it, it almost. I almost got the impression uh, that, I mean, I don't know about you, but from the way we've described it, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, he did the deed in the tub. Mm -hmm. But it almost gave me the impression that he did at least the initial cuts while not in the tub and then kind of had that, if you've ever done this, you start to make a mess and you have that initial panic of I've got to at least kind of stem this and clean it up and tried to clean it up and then realize the foolishness of what he was doing and then just went ahead and got in the tub and hung out. Like he might have been out of the bath standing somewhere in the bathroom when he had did at least one or two of well, the Well, the number cuts. one it's most standard thing that you hear in conjunction with with suicides is people instantly regretting it and trying to remedy it, mm-hmm. right? So maybe he was trying to apply pressure. And then you the realize towels. it was too late. Yeah, or or something. Yeah. But the other thing that I keep questioning is, like, realistically, how much spray are you going to get with cutting your wrists? Like, how far up the wall can you reasonably expect this... your spray to go? That's... This, I don't know. That's I don't question. know. Yeah. I know that if you hit an artery or you hit a vein correctly, I know that you can, that, that blood will flow or spray quite a distance sure it's a, like a jugular or something but i just don't know if the blood flow in in your wrist necessarily is like gonna be spraying all over the uh, place i don't, I don't want to get I too graphic about it i yeah. mean i can think about like if you're clenching your fist yeah, or something i mean there's there's yeah. some ways that it possibly could go but mm-hmm. i i don't know i'm yeah. not sure yeah. but you know as far as the the suicide theory goes i would have to say that uh considering all all the other murders that the octopus has been accused of. They this is kind of the most mundane. It's, it's, no, it's kind of the, it's the most subtle. It's the yeah. only one where they really bothered to try to cover their tracks. If yeah. we were to believe those other ones. So well, what are we he, looking at here? Shot in the chest. Shot in the chest. Hung, but had needle marks in his leg. It was real murder. That's Blood that's kind of subtle. Trauma. Uh, shot. Tied up in a fetal position. Family it is. All it it looks the most I mean, like an actual suicide. Yeah, and why and, did they take so much trouble, trouble for Danny Casalero? Here's the other thing that leans toward the fact that he he probably did commit suicide for this theory. Of, if when we're in this theory, is that Mike Looney? He was in the room adjacent on one side, and there was a family on in the room on the other side of him. Mm-hmm. Nobody reported any noise. Uh-huh. There was no, no, I mean, after the fact, when investigators came to him, nobody's like, hey, you know, it was weird. It sounded like somebody fell out of the bathroom or something. Like none, none of that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, the family was probably like a family of, of octopus assassins. Just mom, dad, <laughs> male, female, and then, and then a dwarf assassin masquerading <laughs> little, as a child. Little, little small, yeah, uh, yeah. small octopus. Yes. Yeah. Let's move on to the other side of the theory, which is that the octopus killed Danny. Okay. Um, Well, we talked about the money problems thing. And again, it seems a little weird that his family could have helped him out. But we've talked about this. 
we talked about this earlier is that the cuts in his wrist were so deep that it doesn't seem like somebody could have continued on yeah. after one or two of them un- unaided. Yeah. That does give people the idea that he did it himself or that he couldn't he have done do it, it himself. Yeah. Excuse me. I I have, and I don't mean to sound like an a-hole here, but I do have a problem with the, uh, the note that mm-hmm. he left. Yeah. It's only five lines long. Yeah. And it's kind of written in a prose style, the way it's broken up. But if you read any of his writing... It's not that way. It's not. The guy... Yeah. Personally, I think he took way too many words to make a point. So I really feel like he would have written much more about why he was doing what he was doing. But of course, you know, at the same time, if he was actually suicidal, he was not in a normal state of mind, exactly. That's very true. The other thing that is weird about his suicide note is that he makes a very direct reference to God. Mm -hmm. Kesslero was Roman Catholic, but he wasn't... He wasn't really religious. Wasn't a big deal in a lot in his life. And a lot of the people that knew him didn't didn't understand why he would make a reference to God in his suicide note that God is going to let him in because he, for all intents and purposes, operated without a care towards that. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You know if his family was particularly religious? It sounds like some of them were and some of them weren't. And what he, about his son? He had drifted. And I don't know about his son, yeah. to be honest. He, again, his, he son, his son is one of the hardest ones to find anything on. Yeah. I, really, yeah. I mean, not, not that I tried to pursue that, but I never really saw a lot about yeah. his son. Yeah. So I think the explanation for the God thing is that, uh, obviously, if you kill yourself, you're a Catholic and you kill yourself. You're well, not getting in. Right. Yeah. And so Doors that, that might have been his way of saying, hey, family, don't worry about me. I think God's going to let me in. Yeah. It's going to be okay. It's yeah. going to be. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that might have been it. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's weird. I This is another one of those that I'm just kind of 50-50 on. I'm not. Well, I, the, he, he killed himself. Well, I I really, I, I agree with Joe. I yeah. I sadly think that he, he killed himself and for reasons that I don't understand. Yeah, I guess that's for me. It's the big question mark that adds that component of Moibi he was murdered is that like I literally cannot find a single thing that makes me think that he was suicidal that's a, that is a, the problem but, but I mean, there's people that kill themselves all the, all the time, time. And, there is, and we had no idea that there was anything wrong and I understand your 50% of thinking that he's murdered because there is always especially when we're dealing with a, a conspiracy like this there's always that thought that they were good enough that there was a shadow and they brought a ketchup bottle full of matching blood type or they sprayed it on the wall. Let's be fair. It wouldn't have been so hard to get his blood. It was pouring out of him. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a, I mean, we, we could talk about all of that stuff. There's a lot of ways that it could go, but that is a, that is a hell of a reach. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's, I, it's hard. It's a lot of work, I don't especially know. I think, considering that these guys were not very subtle in their other murders. Right. And yeah. so, they were busy, like, running multinational, you know, laundering schemes. Right. So we're talking only about that suicide, right? We're not talking about if the octopus is real or not? Well, the octopus is a different thing. Yeah. Okay, I, I'll be honest with you, and I think... I think Joe is probably going to be on the same page mm-hmm. as I am, because I know we've talked about this on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. I think that an organization of the size and complexity that it is purported to be 
is impossible. Because well, it's, it's possible. People, you can't keep it secret. It's but, possible yes, to have it. Okay, that's yeah. a, that's a mm-hmm. perfect thing to add in because yeah. people are loudmouth idiots. And while they may be able to do something, they would not all of them be able to do it in secret. That's fair. So I personally think that at least at the scale that it's said to be, Mm -hmm. the octopus isn't real. Maybe it is a very small little group that has a lot of influences that does small things, but nowhere near the scale. Interesting. Yeah. And also the interrelation between all these different things is not is not at all clear to me. Oh, you mean yeah. like Princess Di and all of that? Yeah, the, well, yeah I, not clear now. I will point the finger right back at uh, at Ken Thomas for that. Yeah, I uh, really is he the think one that, that, that he. One? I really think that he got near the end of his book and said, "Oh crap, I have a word count to meet. Mm-hmm. Let's pull something else in." Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. You obviously have a an opinion on the octopus. Oh no, I just think. I, I, no, I'm curious what it is actually at this point. Uh, I just you know. I watched uh, my method of research on this was a lot of YouTube videos because that <laughs> like fits into my life right now. Um, and I was watching a number of YouTube videos and there were some that were even referencing these movies. I think you watched this as well. This one uh, movie that was made in like 1946 that was talking about global business powers. Yes. Eight global business powers that really run everything. And like GE was one of them. GE is still one of them, right? So I think, you know, when we run into things like this, I'm, you know, I have a hard time going the full government conspiracy theory route, but I am willing to go the, there are, there are powers in our world that run our lives that we may not be totally aware of totally willing to go there so that's kind of where my hesitation comes in i'm not fully tin hat on this guy but i'm also like i've got tin foil in my drawer that i'm ready to pull out if need be well you gotta keep some of that stuff around yeah, you gotta. it's handy for it's cooking too common knowledge right but, but so that's that's where that kind of comes in for me is that like i'm not willing to say that any or all of this stuff is conspiracy stuff i'm not even willing to say the octopus is real but i do i don't know there might be something like it. There might be something similar yeah. to it. And yeah, it I may not that, be uh, as nefarious or consciously nefarious as we are, want to assume. But definitely there yeah. are things that run our lives that we don't know about. Well, probably. I think the most, I think the most likely Danny uh, was probably being fed most of the stuff by Danger Man, a.k.a. Riconoscioto. Yeah, uh, he's, and he is that, and, amazing with the things that he says. It Absolutely, really is. Yeah. And I, I think that... I I don't think he was murdered because if he was if he and his research were such a threat to the octopus, then they obviously would have found his notes and gotten rid of them. They didn't do that. They didn't bother. I mean, here they go. This guy is such a danger to them that they engineer this perfect murder that looks so much like a suicide, and they don't bother to go find all of his notes and information and destroy that destroy that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, so yeah. I think uh, I think it was a suicide. Yeah, it's no. sad. You know, I'm not I'm no. not pro suicide. No, no, I'm no. not either. And I, yeah. I, sadly, I, I is doing all of the research that I did. It's I kind of feel like maybe he went down a track that he shouldn't have gone tra- down, mm-hmm. and that was not a good move for him personally. I guess not from any outside. Influence. The other thing that we're not necessarily discussing is that the the possibility that he killed himself because someone from an organization said hey (laughs) 
we know what you're doing. Stop doing that. Or, you know, threatened or whatever. I, and again, like, it's not, I wouldn't say that that's a reasonable assumption to I, me. I, you know what? No. And I, I will, I, I had the very same thought process. Mm-hmm. I had that he committed suicide under duress. Mm-hmm. Somebody prompted him to do it. Yeah, we're going to murder your family. But yeah. I got to be honest with you. If, if somebody said, Steve, you have to commit suicide or we're going to kill everyone you know. I would probably do it. But you know what else I would do? I would get blitzed in the process. <laughs> I would be so loaded yeah. before yeah. Well, I, I don't get know. it so that I wouldn't to, to try and make sure I don't feel anything. And right. he, he was not in that position at all in terms of things that he'd ingested. Yeah, well, I guess I'm, I wasn't assuming the, like, Steve, you have to kill yourself. Or I'd be like, hey, Steve, we know what you're doing. And if you keep doing it, you we're going to kill all your family. So, like, printer attraction for everything you've ever done. You know, that you would be in that kind of moral quandary of, well, do I... I don't no, know. No, I, I know where you're going, so... But, you know, the thing about it is, is that uh, if you're if you're in that sort of situation, if I was anyway, I would be writing a letter or two, and to my family at least, and saying, hey, don't believe my suicide note. My, but didn't I, he say that? Didn't he say at one point, I'm he like did, he 99% did say that if something sure, happens to me, don't buy it. Don't yeah, believe that don't it was a suicide. He did say that to his brother. He did say that. So... But, but, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I mean, he might have. He might have actually. You know, been, he might have been just joking around. Well, like, yeah, I mean, he might have. Been a, actually the, well, guys, there's a million the, ways yeah, this we could totally go, can. and we could keep hashing out a bazillion little mm. what ifs. Yeah. But I think yeah, instead, I think that, what uh, we need to do is we need to wrap, wrap it up. We could wrap yeah. it up. No, it's gone on for too long. Okay. I think. I think that Danny committed suicide. Yeah. Final verdict. Okay. Yeah. So. You are more than welcome to tell us what your theory is, uh, both in relation to the death of Danny Casalero, uh, or and you know whether Danger Man's telling the truth, and what the heck, even if the octopus really exists, you can do that. If you are in, the octopus, give us a call. If you are the octopus, please stay away from our email address. Uh, that email address is thinking sideways podcast at gmail.com i tell you that because well i'm afraid that you're going to hurt us but they already know our email address so we're kind of they know everything about us dude. Damn. Uh, they're outside the door right now crap mm-hmm. uh we have this episode and all episodes on our website along with links to some of our research which that website is thinking sideways podcast.com we're on social media so we're on twitter at Thinking sideways or thinking sideways without the G, mm-hmm. uh, and we're also on Facebook, so you can find us, you can like us, and join the group. Again, don't be sending us friends requests. We want you to go to the group because that's where all the good stuff happens, as well as the regular page. We are uh, we're on we're on iTunes. I was going to say I'm trying to figure out where else to I think listen. We're on to. iTunes. We're on iTunes, Hopefully so you are. can listen to us on iTunes. You can download us on iTunes. If you do, please take the time to leave a comment and a rating. I checked us out the other day, and we just keep moving up into the main banks of the ra- the ratings. So it is awesome to see us get that high up there. How are we doing these days? Well, we're doing good. Okay, good. By the time this episode comes out, what I've seen today will be completely different. So, yeah, good point. We're we're way up there in there. Uh, we are also going to be on just about every streaming service at this point. So, whatever service you prefer to use, you're welcome to look for us. You're probably going to find the feed in there. 
we have the subreddit, which Devin again. What is the subreddit? It's just thinking sideways. Okay, thank you. I never can. I don't know. I, I, I don't still know don't why understand you can't. Reddit. Yeah. Two years later, I still get it. Anything going out. on in the subreddit these days? Uh, just discussions and stuff. Yeah. Um. So there's discussions of episodes and other things, but that is in Reddit. If you are a Reddit user or you would like to be a Reddit user, that's a good place to go. We uh, we are also on Patreon, so if you in- you like what we do with the podcast and you enjoy it, and you would like to contribute, you are welcome to do that. Dude. Patreon allows you to contribute on a by episode basis, however much is comfortable for you. It is completely voluntary, and you do not have to do it if nope. you are not in a position to do it. I know a lot of folks, as we've been talking about this, have been hitting the the PayPal button. Yeah, you can donate whatever it's you want great. as a one time. Is that too? But, all uh, of it is awesome. We appreciate it all. Thank you very. Yeah, we much. do appreciate our people. There are people. There are people who pledged, you know, per episode. We, yep. you know, we love you guys. And it's really. fantastic. Thanks. It helps to defray the expenses a little it bit. It really does. Yeah. Well, that is all that we've got for housekeeping, mm-hmm. and that yeah. is all that we have on Danny Casalero and the and octopus. The octopus. There's, there's more out there. There's much to be said, but I don't think there's any point. Uh, well, there's no, no, no. there is point, but there's a lot to be said. But I think that we're going to try and keep this as concise as we can, and we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah. So. Thank you, everybody, for going through what turned out to be much longer of an episode than I expected. And we will talk to you next week. Ta-ta. Hail Hydra. Hail Hydra. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say Hail Hydra or Hail Hydra? I said Hail Hydra. Okay.